Hello and welcome to the latest Tebby podcast brought to you by the evidence-based investor in conjunction with Regis Media, connecting advisors with clients. I'm Robin Powell. And our special guest today is Adam Laird, who is head of ETF strategy at Lixor ETFs. Adam, thank you for joining us. Thank you. So for people who don't know who Lixor ETFs are, tell us all about you. Lixor is a, a European asset management. Uh, ETFs are our speciality. We've been managing ETFs for about 18 years now. We were the first European company to bring ETFs to market. And uh, we've got a, a wide range, over 200 investments. And we focus, amongst other things, on, on some very uh, low cost investments. We, we focus on quality. So you started out as a hedge fund company, or certainly a company that worked largely with, with, with hedge funds. That thankfully, things have evolved a little bit since, since then. But maybe you could just give us a little bit of the background. Yeah, so Lixor has uh, two sides to it. The asset management division works with alternative investments. We have a team who does um, manage and run hedge funds. Um, but as well as that, we've got the ETF division, uh, and we're, we're we're really split between that. On one hand, we've got we've got more active strategies, we've got more alternative investments, and on the other hand, it's low cost, simple, passive uh, ETFs that the, that we're, we're doing, and that really. Um, I think in some ways reflect the way that investors are looking at their money more and more, that the, the core of their investments are, are being built on, on um, lower cost passive strategies. And then for people who do need a very, uh, something that's very different, uh, that's the, the alternative hedge fund side. So tell me, just to give a, a little snapshot of your, kind of, of, of your ETF product range, how many products have you got and of those, how many? Are, are genuinely passive. From our ETF side, we've got around about 200 products out there at the moment, uh, and that's managing roughly um, 60 to 70 billion euros overall. And, and of that, I would say about 90% of those are true passive investments, uh, concentrating on individual markets or global markets. Um, and then we have some uh, as well alongside that, which are more uh, objective-based investments. And in these cases, the, the investments that we have will do, it, it will be setting out to achieve investors' aims, such as reducing risk or uh, looking, for, looking for dividends, concentrating on income. So you're a French-owned company, you're, you're part of Société Générale, and uh, so presumably you're big in France, big in Germany, Italy, as well, I understand. We are, we, we've got a big European business, France, Italy, Germany, Spain, but also, also in the UK. I think for us, one of the things that makes us unique is that we, we are European focused, that we don't have uh, US parents, that, that our business is, is concentrated around the, the needs of British and European investors. Now, as a company, you threw the, the cat among the pigeons, if you like, in the UK investing industry a few months ago now, uh, when you actually announced a very low cost range of ETFs. Tell me about that. So it's one of the things that investors have asked us for again and again. They want low costs, they want investments which are high quality, and they want uh, core portfolio building blocks. And for us in the ETF industry, we said, this is one thing that we can provide. So we have a range of 16 
core ETFs. They are all physical. There's no stock lending. They are all based with costs under 0.12%, 12 basis points. And some of our funds, the, the lowest cost out there are the UK and the US equity funds, 0.04%. And there's also no stock lending allowed, is, it, is that right? And why is that so appealing, do you think, to customers? It, for these core investments, we said no stock lending, physical only. And that's really because we didn't feel that we need to add anything else to the funds. Quality really is, is what people are asking for, and they don't want anything additional getting in the way. So these prices, I mean, they are, I must say, pretty low. And you, you're not paying me to, <laughs> to say that, I should uh, hasten to add. And your, for example, your UK guilt fund is, you know, half the price uh, of its rivals, for example. But there are complexities, aren't there? There are tax complexities. Tell me about those. There's only one fund where there's a tax complexity, and that is in the US. For any investor who invests in US companies, there is withholding tax taken off the dividends that's out there. And that applies whether you're investing directly as an individual or if you're investing in a fund in the UK or based overseas. Um, so our fund is, is based in Luxembourg. Um, and the Luxembourg funds have US dividends paid with a 30% withholding tax, which is the standard rate. Uh, I know that there are some other um, areas out there which which have um, currently have reductions in in in, in those rates, but this is a, this is a standard withholding tax that's that's, that's paid for Luxembourg-based investments. Taxes generally, of course, are are a minefield, and and the the investing space is is no different. But but basically, you pay tax wherever you are in the world when you invest in stocks from another country. So what you're saying is an investor in a, a Luxembourg domiciled Lixor ETF will pay 30% of the, of the dividend in tax, whereas you would pay less if you were based in the UK. Tell me about that. Yes, the, this is right. If you're buying a UK-based fund, you, you, you may be paying a 15% a rate of withholding tax as opposed to 30%. This is a question of balance overall. Tax is more important for, for some investors than, than for others. For us, the, the, the US is not a, a very high dividend market. Um, so actually, the, the, the reduction in yield is present, but it's um, not the biggest source of returns for US shares. Um, I, think, I think that overall, it's a, it's a toss-up for you because, um, as I say, the, the, the management fees for our fund are, are the lowest that's out there in Europe at 0.04%. This withholding tax uh, is, is a question that different investors will need to ask whenever they're making their choices. Now, you did have another issue, didn't you, which I understand has since been resolved in that Lixor ETFs didn't have UK reporting fund status, but maybe you could update me on that. Yes, all of our funds now have a reporting status. And that means that for a UK investor, you'll be paying an equivalent rate of tax to you would be if you were holding onshore funds. So now that, that is uh, not an issue on, on any of our London listed products. Okay, so the evidence-based advice firms that I tend to deal with uh, around the world, including here in the UK, either tend to use a combination of Vanguard funds or dimensional funds. Sometimes they might use a few iShares funds, for example. But 
Very few people tell me they actually use Lixor ETFs. So go on, why should, uh, why should advice firms consider using Lixor ETFs? Yes, yeah, so to be honest, our name is not as well known in the UK, but actually across Europe, we are one of the, the biggest and best known ETF firms. We're, we're a top three provider. In Europe, we, we manage a lot of money for a, a lot of different sorts of investors. And people come to us because of our specialities. They, they come to us for low cost investments, particularly in UK equity, in gilts. They will come to us for our inflation protected investments. Um, that's something that we're, we're very strong in, helping investors um, manage rising prices in, in the long term portfolio. They'll come to us for European shares because we've, we've got one of the widest ranges of, of European equity. We, we, have got, um, we have got certainly some specialities that we're, we're very proud of. And, and actually, we, we talk to more and more people who are using our, our, our ETFs as part of their portfolio. So what are you doing to kind of get your message across to advisors? I mean, we, we're... We're seeing quite a few launches now uh, of, of kind of low cost investment uh, propositions for advisors. Vitality Invest, for example, launched a range here in Birmingham uh, that I went to a couple of weeks ago. What, what are you doing to get the message across? Well, for us, I think that we, we are out there knocking on doors and, and talking to a lot of different advisors about our investments and about what we what we can what we can do, how we can help. Um, I think that yes, there are a lot of companies out there who have got low fee options. We are one of the the lowest cost that's that's out there. Um, I think that one of the other things that we we've done traditionally, we've we've always made sure we put out a lot of information, a lot of research, uh, a lot really that helps advisors when talking to their clients understand what it is they're buying, why they should be using it, how it makes part of their overall investment proposition. Now, pe people who read the evidence-based investor will, will know it's a constant cause of consternation to me that so many advisors, UK-based advisors, still continue to recommend actively managed investment products. Um, in your view, why is that the case when you know, there is this mountain of evidence that most investors are, are better off simply trying to capture market returns at as low a cost as possible? I think part of it is simply the history, that we didn't always have such a good range of low-cost products out there. But actually, that's definitely not the case anymore. It's really easy to get simple, low-cost investments. I think there's part of the appeal of the active manager has been that the strategies have been targeted at, at very specific needs, like dividends, for example, but actually that's no longer the case as well. For the last 10, 12 years, you've been able to buy low-cost, passive, dividend-focused funds, which, which really replaces part of the job of, of the active manager. Uh, but I think that possibly investors haven't asked the question enough, what is this manager doing for me? And if you now know that the fund that you have really isn't going to be able to live up to its promises. It isn't going to have the returns that perhaps it once did. It, it's not going to be able to fulfill your ambitions. Then, yes, that's when you should be looking at the evidence and, and making that change. 
isn't one of the answers, the, the, one of the reasons for the sort of preponderance of, of, of active management uh, here in the UK, though, simply that the active managers are so good at marketing, you know, and do have big marketing budgets. They hold these big events. Uh, I've been to them myself. I've been chucked out of one myself. <laughs> events for financial advisors. You've got to be doing the same, haven't you, as well? I mean, companies like, smaller companies like Lixor, and then indeed uh, Vanguard and Dimensional have to be getting out there and, if you excuse the expression, you know, selling yourself to, 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 to advisors. You're right, and we are trying to do a lot of work with that to, to, to get out and to make ourselves known, to, get, to put our research out there. I think you've raised a great point that for a long time, it was very appealing to see a big, a big name manager, a big face who could, who could go and sell their proposition, who could go and talk their own book. But one of the things that we've seen the UK specifically over the last five years is having a star manager is a real risk. The number of big name managers who have retired or left to start up their own business or have, have suffered bad periods of performance and ended up in some sticky situations because of their striving for returns, that is a concern. And investors really need to be questioning, well, why am I going with a big name out there when I could be going with something that I know will persist in, in the next 20 years time? Well, what do you make, for example, of, of someone like Neil Woodford who went through a long period of underperformance and then did, you know, quite considerably outperform the index even after costs over a long period. He was very heavily marketed when he set up his new operation on his own Woodford funds. Uh, and it was very heavily marketed as well by you know, your former employers at Hargreaves Lansdowne, for example. And, and now he, he really appears to have come unstuck. I mean, what, what do you make of what's happened there? Well, I think that the question is, when you look at, at names such as Woodford, there are some managers who have shown long-term periods of good track record of outperformance. I think there are some managers who have had short periods of outperformance and then who have, who have, who have dropped off, who have fallen off that cliff somewhat. And, and I think that that's, that's the problem. It's consistency. And that's really where there's, there's a danger for investors. That if you're buying something that is not able to last over the long term, that, that then you have a, a danger that you're maybe buying in at the wrong time. And I'll go back to my previous point. If you have someone who has been outperforming consistently over a 20 year period, does that tell you that they're gonna carry on for another 20 years? Or does that mean they're gonna retire soon? I'd reckon they've probably got their money and they're probably thinking about the beach. Absolutely, absolutely. So I was gonna ask you as well about some research that you did recently about investor behavior. And, th and thankfully now, investor behavior is being given the kind of prominence that it deserves, because I'm sure you'd agree it's a hugely important area. And, and you did some research, didn't you, uh, into behavior during and after that kind of little, should we call it wobble, stock market wobble that we had in back, back in February now? As an ETF provider, one of the things that is on the forefront of our mind is money flow. If people are buying, what they are buying at what period, and how that matters for the overall industry. And one of the questions that we had in, in February was, when the US market predominantly took a turn, 
corrected, would investors pull out on mass? Would ETFs be the catalyst for a mass pullback? And, and could that spread some contagion? And categorically, the data showed no. Throughout that period, investors kept topping up their ETF holdings. So even when the market was falling, there was still money going into ETFs within Europe. And that for me told me that actually the ETF wrapper, the, the passive investors, are using the market correction as a time to go and top up, as a time to try and take advantage of, of a bargain. And, that, and that's a real positive sign. It, it is. Um, of course, uh, that, that same time we heard that the computer systems in America at, at Wellfront and Betterment, the two big robo-advisors over there, sort of crashed with all the people trying to get out of their investments. But, but I, I take your point. Um, it, here in the UK, at least, uh, and, and particularly uh, amongst Lixor customers, you probably saw better behaviour than most of the kind of pundits, if you like, were, were, were predicting. There's no doubt. Whenever a market falls, if you are watching it, you will be concerned. This is your money. That is natural. It's about managing that behaviour, though. And I think the best investors are the ones who are, who are aware of the pull that they're likely to feel and will react to it in a positive way. Because it's very easy to think, I'm panicking, markets are turning south, I may be losing my money. But actually, as an investor, it is on you to, to say, right, let me take a step back and let's see how the land lies in a couple of days once the dust has settled. Things never look that bad a week down the line. Now, the investing industry is, is changing rapidly around the world, and, and it's for a number of reasons. I mean, the, the, the main reason is the, is the kind of pressure on, on fees and, and so on. But how do you see it changing, and not just the investing industry, but the financial advice profession? How do you see it changing over the next sort of 10 years or so? I think that actually there's been a lot of pressure already on advisors just to make sure that the, the, what they are doing is right for the end investor, that they are recommending the right investments, that they are doing the, the right build-up. I think that there was a, a, a small but unfortunate group who perhaps had been uh, dominated by commissions in the past. But actually, there, there's a lot of good that the right advice can do for an, for an individual. It, it, things like setting up trusts, looking at your tax affairs, helping manage your spending, doing planning for retirement, looking at the insurance offering that's out there. All of these are really important parts of the, of the advice process. In some ways, the, uh, the, with, with the rise of evidence-based investing, it's easier than ever for an individual to buy a portfolio, which covers a broad range of assets at a really low cost. That is only one part of the advice that's required out there. The, the broader infrastructure and about matching that to you and your individual objectives, that's really where an advisor can add something. And as you know, Adam, we, we're behind the curve in terms of you know, what, what's happening and what's been happening over the last sort of 10, 15 years in the investing industry and the advice profession in the United States. The, the, the UK probably kind of ahead of the pack, rest of the pack in, in Europe, would you say? I mean, are other countries that, that you work in, are they playing catch up a little bit? I mean, I'm thinking, for example, of 
of, of France and Germany where, where traditionally the sort of big banks and insurance companies have been very strong? So yes, the, on the continent in France, Germany, Italy, the investment landscape is quite different because it is more dominated by banks and insurance companies. I think actually one of the ways that we are ahead in, in the UK is with the RDR. RDR banned commissions from investment funds going back to the, the platform or to the advisor. And that meant that there was a, a level playing field created by um, different sorts of investments. No longer could someone buy their way into a portfolio. And as a result, the use of, of low-cost passive strategies has, has, has gone up and up. And actually, that's happening in the rest of Europe now. People are scrutinizing the investment choices that are being made. And it is pushing more people towards simple, low-cost options. One final question. Where do you hope to see Lixor in the next sort of five or ten years? Oh, we, we're, we're certainly targeting to be the biggest or at least the second biggest of the ETF providers out there. And, and we know that we've, we've got a, a quality range, we've got innovation, and we've got low-cost products. So for us, I think it's really positive. Adam, well, thank you very much for uh, joining us. Uh, I must say it's great um, someone actually coming out from London to the sticks here in Berlin <laughs> to come and speak to us makes it far much easier for me. So thank you very much indeed for your time and, and, and all the best. Uh, with your work at uh, Lixor ETF. So that's it for this episode. You've been listening to Adam Laird, uh, Head of ETF Strategy at Lixor ETFs. And uh, if people want to find out about Lixor ETFs, you've got a UK website? LixorETF.co.uk. Thank you. And, and presumably you've got separate sites for, for, for different... We have indeed, that's right. Lovely. Thank you as well to our sponsor, Regis Media. And if you're a financial advisor and you want to find out about uh, Regis Media and how it can help you to attract, retain and educate clients, then visit the website regismedia.com. And finally, a request. If you've enjoyed listening to this podcast with Adam Laird, please subscribe to it on iTunes or on SoundCloud. And if you really want to help us, why not write a review on iTunes? It'll only take a few moments and you really will be helping us to educate the end investor. Until next time, from Adam Laird and from me, Robin Powell, and our producer, Wahida Rahman, goodbye. Goodbye.